You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with the sermon this afternoon, we have two readings from the New Testament, both, in fact, from the Apostle Paul. The Old Testament prophesies about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospels all testify to its historical reality and give a sense of its significance, but it is the Apostle Paul and the other apostles who write after who really unpack the significance of the death of our Lord for us who believe in Him today. One of the passages that unveils this to us is Romans 6. We'll read the verses 1-14. through 14. The Apostle Paul has been talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to to such an extent that he has to defend himself here at the beginning. And so let us read the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives for God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. And now we turn to another passage that unpacks for us the significance of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and also moves into his resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll read the verses 1 through 11. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on a third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 16 of the Heidelberg Catechism concerning the death and burial of Jesus Christ. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because the justice and truth of God, because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ has always confessed the burial of Jesus Christ. And we know that because there is already this confession in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul speaks about what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. He said, I received this. I was taught this as something being very important. This is the confession of our church upon which the church of Jesus Christ is built. And I pass it on to you in the same way. And in that confession, then, he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And, of course, you know, as we're working through the Apostles' Creed, as it's being taught in the Heidelberg Catechism, there too the church confesses the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can find on page 495 of your book of praise, for example, the Apostles' Creed in full there, and it says that Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. You find the same thing in the Nicene Creed, the very next page. These creeds both going back to the, the very early church. In the Nicene Creed, it says that Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. Jesus Christ was buried in the grave. He was wrapped in burial clothes. He was put in a tomb. He had the stone rolled over the front, and he was buried. Now, the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ is something that we don't always pay a lot of attention to, do we? Every year at Easter time, we have Good Friday in which we remember his death, especially focusing on his crucifixion usually. And then on Sunday, we all come together and we rejoice that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. 
But we never come together on Saturday to remember that at that time, the Lord Jesus was laying in the grave. We don't have Good Friday and Special Saturday or something like that, followed by Easter Sunday. It seems the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ is something that we easily move over, even as you recite the creed or you sing it together, you're past the burial part before you even know it. But yet, the church has always confessed his burial. It was important. It was extremely significant. And so the question that we're going to consider this afternoon is, why? Why is it so significant? Why was he buried in the grave? It's in the Apostles' Creed, and some of the the Apostles' Creed is dramatically clear. Some parts are, are frustratingly easy to misinterpret. We'll consider that in the future. He descended into hell. It's a part that is very easy to misinterpret. Some parts of the Creed contain controversy, and some are just straightforward. But I wonder if you've ever wondered why it says, why it's so important to say and to confess that Christ was buried. So why did Christ lay in the grave? Well, in the first place, it was because he was dead. We'll unpack that a little more. Because he was dead. And in the second place, we'll consider that he really was dead. That's going to take a little bit of explaining. Why do we have two points essentially on the same thing? And finally, he was buried so that we could live. That's why Christ lay in the, de- in the grave. In the first case, it was because he was dead. Jesus Christ lay in the grave because that's where you put people who have died. That's what happens to people who are dead. But the thing is, although death is significant, it is. It's painful. It's a loss. It's the end of a life. It's a breaking of relationships. Yet really, the impact of someone's death is is limited. And the significance of their death, what they actually accomplished by dying, is probably very little. We are used to thinking of death as the end of meaning, the the end of significance for a life. The impact that that person has had or can have in the world, once they die and are buried, is now over. But for Jesus Christ, death was extremely significant. Extremely significant. His death was like no one else's death. That's why when he died, it was accompanied by darkness. It was accompanied by an earthquake, by rocks breaking in half. It was accompanied by people rising from the dead. That's how significant his death was. And all these things happened around it. So shocking to death itself was the death of Christ. The Catechism outlines two elements of the significance and necessity of Christ's death for us in question and answer 40. 
says, because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. So, in the first place then, the death of Christ was necessary to satisfy God's justice. Now, if you look at that answer in the Heidelberg Catechism, you notice that there is one mere proof text. Because of the justice and truth of God. One note. And this might lead you to believe that there's actually not a whole lot of biblical evidence for the fact that the justice and truth of God were satisfied through the death of Christ. But that's far from the truth. In fact, the, probably the reason why there's only one footnote here is because already at this point in the catechism, we have dealt a lot with the justice of God and also with the effect of Christ's death on that justice. But yet it is, it is crucial and significant also to this point. And so we go through it again. And there is an abundance of biblical proof. So much so that the catechism has already spent Lord's Day 1, Lord's Day 4, Lord's Day 5, Lord's Day 6, and the previous Lord's Day, Lord's Day 15, on this. And passages like Romans 6.23 couldn't be more clear. The wages of sin is death. Or Ezekiel 18 verse 4, the soul who sins is the one who should die. Sin deserves death. That's what the justice of God requires, and it can be no other way. As the Lord's Day 6 says, the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned must also pay for sin. But the emphasis here in the catechism, as it is in God's word, is that, the, is that it is the satisfaction of God's justice. So the emphasis, in fact, isn't even on us and our sin, but it is on God's justice. That's what needs to be satisfied. This is really the amazing thing about the death of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ offered himself as a sacrifice in the first place to God. To God. He did this for us. He did it as our high priest. He presented himself to God on our behalf. The high priest stands in for the people who are under his care. He did in the Old Testament, especially on the Day of Atonement. He would make atonement. He would present himself on behalf of the people. Jesus Christ did that as our high priest. Now think about that. Think about the events around the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did it seem like he was representing anyone as he died? Were the crowds of people around him, encouraging him as he did this, thanking him for giving up his life? No. He offered himself as a high priest for the sins of those who rejected him. There was no one standing around and encouraging him as he hung on the cross. But yet he did it for us as our high priest. And he also did it as our sacrificial lamb. Again, giving himself over to death for us. To God. To appease God's wrath and make reconciliation for us with God. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. In the Old Testament... God's people would bring a, a lamb for a guilt offering. They would present a lamb before God in order to make atonement for their sins. 
But in the new covenant, to ratify the new covenant, God sent his own son to be that offering. Do you see the grace of God at work here? It's, it's striking as, as we read the form for baptism. It speaks so, so powerfully of the grace of God on display. Young Foster hasn't earned a whole lot in the eyes of God yet. He hasn't had a chance. He couldn't. In fact, he's even born into sin. But yet in the grace of God, God accepts him, makes him his child through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the grace of God was present in Romans 6 and 1 Corinthians 15. They both reflect on that. And it is grace. God's anger stood against us because of his perfect justice. But yet at the same time, through his love, he sent a savior to give himself on our behalf to himself to satisfy his own justice. What do we have to do with the equation? We just believe. God did it on his own. He appeased his own anger. He sent his son in order to die. To satisfy his justice. But there's more grace in this too. Since our sin is in fact breaking a relationship with God. The satisfaction of God's justice means that we are restored to a relationship with him. It's not just that that all the negatives are erased and we come to a neutral position. No, it's that a, a relationship is restored. In our justice system, we don't really have this. There's often not reconciliation between the perpetrator of a crime and, and the victims. And certainly not with the judge or with the state. It's not like the person who's done the crime has to be reconciled to a, a good relationship with those whom he's harmed or those who have judged him before he can be let free, just has to serve the time. Just has to erase the negative till he's at neutral. But in God's grace, he doesn't leave us just there. He brings us so much further. He brings us into a restored relationship with God because where the justice of God is appeased, is satisfied, and the favor of God is renewed, God again receives us in favor makes us his children, pours out his blessings upon us. And so the death of Jesus Christ, his burial, which testifies to his death, was necessary to satisfy God's justice, and it was also necessary to satisfy God's truth. Of course, they're right hand in hand, right? God had spoken of his justice in the Old Testament, God speaks about his justice in the New Testament. He speaks about the punishment that sin deserves. The wages of sin is death. Remember that? And so if God has said that sin must be punished, then the truth of God is also at stake. God's truthful character is at stake. If I tell one of my catechism students that if I catch them cheating on one of their Homework assignments, I haven't caught any yet. They all do a very good job. But if I say that I'm going to call their parents if I catch them cheating, then I'd better call their parents if I catch them cheating, right? My own character is at stake. I have to follow through with what I say. Of course, being sinful humans, being a sinful human that I am, I'm not always going to follow through with what I say. 
And that reality is for all of us ever-present, isn't it? We do things like say one thing and do another all the time. But God is not like that. God cannot be like that. He is God. He would be, he would fail to be God if he was not consistent with himself, if he was not always truthful to his word. And God said that sin would be punished. And even more, God said how sin would be punished. In Genesis 3 verse 15, he said that the seed of the woman, a human being, would strike the head of the serpent. In Isaiah 53, he prophesied that the servant, a person, one among them, would suffer for the sins of God's people. And so it was that Christ came and died and satisfied the truth of God. He is the fulfillment of God's word. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises of salvation and of judgment as it was poured out on him on the cross and from which he ultimately died. And so for these reasons, Jesus had to die. And since he did satisfy God's justice and truth by dying, he lay in the grave because that's where dead people go. Jesus Christ's death was was necessary. It was extremely important. And it is extremely important for us to know, to be grounded in the historical fact that Jesus Christ died and was buried. And so we come to our second point, that he really had died. That is, his burial, the fact that he was in the grave on Saturday, testifies to the fact that he had truly died. And it gives us confidence that he had truly died. As you see, there was a time when people were buried very quickly after they died. And there are stories of some awkward moments that this would lead to. One story that I read of was uh, someone who was in the, the funeral procession for their grandfather. He had died They put him in a coffin and they were carrying him to the tomb when suddenly they heard some knocking on the coffin. They opened it up and lo and behold, he was alive. The reason why they would put them in the grave so quickly is because the body very quickly would begin to decompose. So it was important to get the body into the grave. But this is not what happened to Jesus. Yes, they did put Jesus in the grave, but that was after he had been speared by the soldier. That testified to his death. And the fact that he laid in the grave, it wasn't some quick thing. It wasn't like he was in and out in a few hours. No, he lay in the grave until he arose on Sunday morning. He had died on Friday. His death being confirmed by that spear And he lay in the grave until he arose from the dead on Sunday morning. He had died. He had truly died. And his burial testified to that fact. But yet one more component of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's significant, is that he died and he was buried so that we could live. 
As we mentioned earlier, the satisfaction of God's justice means the presence of God's favor. Now, it was not as though at any point God had withheld his love from his people, even when they were rebellion. In fact, John 3 states that God sent Jesus Christ to the world in love. It wasn't that God withheld his love until Jesus Christ did the work that he had to do and then God would give his love. No, God sent his son in love for his people. It was his own love that compelled the Father to send Jesus Christ. But through the death of Jesus Christ, God secures our relationship to him, our adoption as his children, our security in his family, our future as heirs to his kingdom. In other words, Jesus was buried so that we could live. Jesus lay in the grave. That's why it wouldn't be a bad idea to have a special Saturday. Jesus lay in the grave and experienced death so that the experience of death would be completely different for all of God's people. As someone has stated, he transformed the grave into a waiting room. The grave is where the body of believers go, goes. It's a waiting room while their spirit is immediately taken up to be with Christ, where they, where they are with him and awaiting the final resurrection and perfect reunion of body and soul. There's more on that in Lord's Day 22. The grave is the waiting room for the body before it's renewed and resurrected. The point is that Christ was buried transform the grave so that we could live eternally. Once the wages of sin is paid for, there is no more death. This is not to say, though, that death is meaningless now or should not be hard to bear. Death is still an enemy. Death is still painful. Death is still the end of something. It's the breaking of of strong relationships. It's a loss for us who experience the death of someone else. It is a loss for us who continue to live. But for the believer, the grave is not the final resting place or one stop towards something worse. Jesus Christ joined them in the grave. All of those who die in Christ, Jesus Christ joined them in the grave so that they could join him in heaven. Christ's death promises us eternal life. But again, as another testimony to the power and grace of God, the extent of his work continues to amaze us. It's not as though we need simply to to wait for death in order to enter into eternal life, but that life begins for us already now through his death and burial. We experience the life-giving power of Christ's death and burial even now. Through Christ's death, we die to sin and become alive to God. And that is, of course, grounded in our union with Christ. It's signified and sealed in baptism. The form for baptism spoke about that as it reflects on Romans 6. Christ died for sin and was buried in the grave. In him, we too die to sin. And our sins are buried in the grave. Romans 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified him with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. 
Christ triumphed over the power of sin in his death and burial. And in that triumph, he redeems us from the power of sin and death. And from the devil who uses sin and death to exert power over us. And there is a sense in which this happens immediately. Completely, immediately. That, as Paul says, we become dead to sin. Dead to sin. If Jesus supplants Satan as your master, then you have a new master. Jesus said you can't have two masters. You have one or the other. If Satan is no longer your master, if Jesus is, then he is your master. He calls the shots in your life. You're no longer a slave to sin. You have died to the power of sin. But yet at the very same time, there is this ongoing struggle within us between the old nature, the one that has died with Christ, and the new nature, the one that comes alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our old nature has died with Christ, but it's still dying within us. It's a process. The Holy Spirit who was given to Jesus Christ in his resurrection is still driving out that old nature and building the new nature in us. It's a progressive thing. It's a it's a long process. It's what's called the already and the not yet. Already died to sin, but not yet perfect. There's a tension here. There's a struggle. Even as there is a struggle within us between the old nature and the new. And Romans 6 highlights this tension. Romans 6 highlights this tension for us. It can affirm on the one hand that we died to sin. Paul says, how can we live in it any longer? He starts with that at the beginning. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? But then on the other hand, as he comes toward the end of the passage that we read together, he says to the Romans, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Yes, you've died to sin, but you must also continue to fight against sin. Paul holds this tension together. And this is a tension that we experience, isn't it? We know that Christ has forgiven our sins. We know that Christ has died for our sins. We know that Satan no longer has mastery over us. We know we're dead to sin. And we praise God for that and we experience that. But yet we're called constantly to fight against sin, to ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as God moves us onward and upward in our sanctification and the growth of our holiness. In the same way, really, that we are still hurt and affected by death, even though Christ has conquered death, in the same way do we still struggle with sin. But the reality for us is that sin no longer reigns in us. It's there, but it's gradually losing ground to the power of Jesus Christ within us and the righteous life that the Holy Spirit works in us. We daily fight against sin with God's help, of course, in the knowledge that one day that fight will be complete. And Jesus Christ will gain the final victory. Just as one day, bodies of our loved ones and our bodies, if we go there to the grave, will be resurrected. And the grave will be a, a memory. It will be a past event. It will no longer affect us. As we go through the creed, 
dead and buried, rattles off the tongue as a perhaps inconsequential part. But nothing could be further from the truth. Notice how much it connects with the fall into sin, the promise of a savior, the justice and the love of God, eternal life, sanctification and more. The death and the burial of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is your life. That's a powerful display. It's a powerful working of the grace of God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.